Welcome to Shite and Sound. Uh, my name is Yutha Shite. My name is Finn Sound Nicholas. And this week we're going to be talking about the things we want to do before we die. So, I mean, hopefully death is a long way away, you know, up to five years mm-hmm. for me. Uh, and I, I see you having a relatively short life, you mm-hmm. know. It's, it, you know, better to to burn out than to fade away. And so I see you living to the the young age of, let's say, 80, 90. Mm-hmm. And so it is important for us to kind of change our, uh, um, to have the right perspective on the things we can achieve in that time. So mm-hmm. like, obviously, before I die, I'd like to make a feature film, you know, even if yeah. it's just me and my phone, you know. You you could maybe make a short, <laughs> and I'm talking like I'm talking about a social media ad, as you know, a blip pervert. Mm. Is that the kind of thing you're interested in, or because I've, I've got my bucket list here? Oh yeah, yeah. You know, what's what's on your your bucket list? Uh, genuinely, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. No, yeah. go genuinely. Here, 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 that's good. Here's a here's a here's a here's a genuine okay, one. Just teeth for tangent. You genuinely have a bucket list. I have like one or two things that I've thought about. Like oh, I okay. want to do that. You have not written it. No. Oh. oh okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. No, all right. Sweet ass. You have it in like a in a in a in a greater sense. Yeah. Okay. <sighs> okay. And well, I'll just get back in the mm. bit. I've just got to assume the character of Youth the Shite. Yeah. Humna humna humna. <laughs> Humna, 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 wa wa wee wa. I have a chair. I have a chair. Go do this. Go do that. Abracadabra. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Anti-disestablishmentarianism. Raxacrocophalipatorius. <laughs> the mighty Jagrafest of the Holy Hedrojaxamaxarodin foe. Yeah, what do you want to do? Uh, I'd like to perform an hour of stand-up in a sold-out show at the Bell House in Brooklyn. Just because that's a uh, comedy venue where a lot of uh, uh, performers that I uh, really love have done uh, shows that are important to me. I'll give you one off my list. Yeah. I want to enter a bar in in London, a pub. Yeah. And I'm I'm in a suit mm. with a bowler hat on. I've got a, a an umbrella or cane, and one of the rough looking types there. You know, mm. you know those guys that look like they're less men than just sacks of potatoes. Yeah. And he looks and he's like, Oi, mate, you shouldn't show your face round, do you? And I go, Mine's not the face you should be concerned about. And, yeah, and, then, go- and then the camera gets undercranked. Yeah. And, yeah. 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 And, and the guy comes for me, but boom, one swift move, umbrella is right through him. I open the umbrella. So now we're. In- so it opens on the other side of him. And mm-hmm. I, like, I like pull it. And so now I have like this club. That is a impaled man, <laughs> <laughs> and I just start smashing it up. Um, I I hope to do that. Uh, so, what else is on your list? Do you do you intend at some point to like find happiness or satisfaction, or move out of your father's house? <laughs> no, I don't think those are the sorts of things you can plan ahead of time. <laughs> so, some, but you can hope. Like I. I tr- a trend across bucket lists is that there are often things you can't plan for. I'll give you an example uh, off mine. Mm. I want to, um, <laughs> I want you know that big intersection in Tokyo, like the most popular, right, yeah. the busiest uh, uh, a pedestrian intersection in the world. I, I want to go there. Uh, uh, I, I want to stand 
right in the middle at like the precise right mm. point that I create like a lot and I stop and I create like a gridlock of of unmoving people it just, just spreads out like a wave through all of Tokyo and then across all of Japan and the world and mm. I just stop all people walking because everyone is suddenly just all packed together yeah um and, and and admittedly like there is a lot of calculation I need to do about mm. finding the exact right time and place uh studying the the flow of people yeah uh, awesome. um, and then once everyone stopped you will look down at the ground and you will release a burst of flame into the ground and uh, and you'll destroy the city i was more thinking of uh like i would then touch one of the people next to me and pee on an electric fence <laughs> and so the shock would travel through through everyone in the world just because I thought that'd be that'd be a funny prank. So there's there's an electric fence in the middle of this intersection. Oh uh, no, I take it with me. Oh, okay. Yeah. But like getting all those things together, like mm. I can kind of plan for that. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Any examples off your list uh, of of uh, nothing? When we what do you see in your future when it comes to say, uh cybernetic self-augmentation like what 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 things do you want implanted in your body uh well i i want to uh, gain the ability uh, to become a uh, to become a possessor like a tazia voss uh, right yeah uh, in the film i forget the name <laughs> i forget the name yeah don't look it up there's no way i've known yeah i just uh you know i like to be christopher abbott for a bit you'd be gabriel graham for a bit you just get to do yeah. Oh god, we just, film. <laughs> we just cut a spoiler from Possessor. Check it out. It's it's gross. Uh yeah, not like uh don't check out Possessor unless you want to. You we we've discussed it at length. Okay. So I I have quite a similar one <laughs> in that I want to to get uh, um some nanobots put into my brain. Mm. Um so that when I pee on that electric fence and it shocks everyone, I just put one little nanobot in anyone, and so I can. No, I'm just describing being a possessor because I could just take over anyone's body uh, at, yeah. at any time. But they're still they're still conscious, you know. I'm mm. just just puppeteering them, and that's just. Oh, well, like in like like in Gamer, starring uh, Gerard Butler. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Where people get nanobots put in their brains, and then they can be taken over and used in. Uh, Using interactive video games oh, by by Michael C. Hall. Oh, I like Michael C. Hall. Yeah, Dexter himself, Dexter. six feet under himself. Yeah, um, uh, Cabaret himself, live on stage. Right, yeah, not 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 the film from the seventies. Uh, 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 not Blackstar. He was one Blackfish. of He was in Blackfish. <laughs> he was one of the uh, the leads of the musical that David Bowie wrote Lazarus for. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I got, there, there's two really big ones on my list, mm. and I want to share them with you. Oh, there's also that movie where he played an alien and hung out with uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, where he was called Michael C. Paul. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, okay. There is... Almost a joke. <laughs> no, yeah, I was going to say, like, there is, we, we'll get to it. When we hit Holmes and Watson, but mm. I, but I think a lot of what makes Holmes and Watson genuinely like a uh, like an experience of mania 
is that everything in it is shaped like jokes, <laughs> but not. Yeah. And I think that's what you just did very well. It is like, yes, like, it's like those videos, you know, that's like, what does English sound to speakers of yeah. other languages? It's like that, but with comedy formats. Yeah, like, as someone who watches, like, a lot of uh, very bad open mic comedy, yeah. there is something kind of incredible when you see someone who has obviously seen tons of comedy. And they fully understand the rhythms of how jokes work. Sorry, you, it's pronounced tons of comedy. <laughs> but, <Bleh>. they, <laughs> but they uh, don't know how to write a joke. But like, they, 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 they have no taste in what's funny, but they understand the, the like, structure and rhythm of a joke. And just to see them try and do that for like six minutes is fascinating. Give us an example. Do some stand-up for us now that's like that. <laughs> okay. So I was walking down the street <laughs> the other day, and you know what it's like on the street? It's made of concrete, tarmac, butcherman, <laughs> down thither, <laughs> if you ask me. And I was walking down that street, and my shoes, you know what they're like, on your feet, or foot hands as I call them, because feet are the hands of the foot. And, and so and they're slapping along slapper dapper dapper and i was like it's a bit like my shoes are slapping at that ground <laughs> yeah like that yeah i was quite proud of <laughs> <Yeah>. that <laughs> can i tell you my my internal experience while doing that what i'm about to say sounds like a massive humble brag but it is there was a gen, but it is just how disordered my thoughts are yeah. at most times. Is that there was a genuine struggle within my mind to not find real punchlines <laughs> yeah. in it, or like a structure or a joke yeah. to build to. But so there, yeah, no, there are two big um, uh, goals on on my bucket list. Mm. I, I loved and, and uh, uh, two one you could help me with. Um, one is I would like to tell. A joke to a big audience, mm. uh, and, and I, I've worked out that I probably I just need to like skydive and yell real loud, yeah, or um, get into like break into a SpaceX ship, and, and then when I'm in space, like write it with a laser on the moon. I've got to tell you, if you're in a SpaceX ship, chances are you're not making it to space. <laughs> I mean, like, in the in the future, yeah. And the other is, is to watch the films Wild Strawberries <laughs> and The Bucket List and then record a podcast about them. Do you think you could help me with either of those? Uh, sure, yeah, let's go to space. Okay, thanks, Elon. So how do we, how should we start? Do I need to do, I'm not in the best physical shape. Like, that, depending on your aesthetic choices around the word shape, like, in terms of the golden ratio, I've got a lot <laughs> going on for me. But that that should be fine, right? Uh, sure. Oh, great. I'm glad that you, Elon Musk, uh, have a lot of power when it comes to the lives and deaths of pioneers. <laughs> so what do you need in exchange to send me in space with a big old laser to do put one of my tweets on the moon? Um, do you happen to have any uh, uh, blood emeralds? Funny you should say that, because my urine has been full of <laughs> blood recently, and I have a kidney stone. A kidney stone? <laughs> yeah. yeah. A kidney stone. Sorry, I 
forgot, like, it's, and I was so dazed to meet you, Elon Musk, from Iron Man 2, mm. that I forgot to say I'm a cockney. Oh. Yeah, I love walking up apples and pears. That's uh, cockney rhyming slam for escalators. <laughs> I worry, Elon, that when I'm in space, I will be faced with an existential despair about how tiny we are and how meaningless the void that surrounds us is mm-hmm. and how easily it could destroy us. Um, and that's something you must contend with a lot. No, I've, I have almost uh, no sense of self. Oh, anyway. <laughs> so uh, when, I, I, when I just screaming in pain, just gush forth blood from the old chap and out comes with it a few pits uh, of kidney stone. I call well, yeah, I just want you to know, we, we, our first docking station when we get into space will be the event horizon. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I call it when I piss a blood emerald or kidney stone, as I like to call it. With that, with that. So you're, so I would, I would, so you are quite nostalgic about the blood emeralds that fueled your family's uh, wealth. Uh, Absolutely. I say bring him back. (laughs) Maybe you still have them. Oh, look, I'm, I can't can't go into that, but (laughs) you know. Will you be on the trip with me? I mean, yes, yeah, so, 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 some, someone's, someone's got to tear their own eyes out. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Shite and Sound, the podcast where two comedians watch one of the masterpieces of world cinema and then follow it up with a critically reviled film that is similar in some way. Maybe they share themes, plot, actors or director. We want to see if counterpointing these two films can bring out some new information or insights. On this episode, we watched number 63 on the Sight and Sound list, Ingmar Bergman's Wild Strawberries, a day in the life of an elderly man confronted with his decades of failure and regret, but with but, but like with jokes. Our second film this week was The Bucket List, Rob Reiner's maudlin old man buddy comedy travelogue, but with no jokes. So, when I first heard the title of Ingmar Bergman's uh, 1957 film, Wild Strawberries, I I was so excited. Yeah, you you love jam. I love jam, because I saw that word wild, and wild for me, it means a lot. Wild and out, the improv show, and I think most- Girls gone wild. (laughs) Yeah. The improv show. (laughs) I gotta tell you- that's exactly the punchline I was building. Yeah. To, yeah. And so when I found out that it is just a quiet, uh, reflective work by Ingmar Bergman uh, of an aged doctor uh, facing his life and death. In, in, in a career of uh, quiet, reflective works, one of his most quiet and reflective. I, I mean, like, Hour of the Wolf and Persona get pretty buck wild. Oh, yeah. But in in a in a in a quiet, restrained exactly, way, yeah. it is it is very much like 
a a a, a calm psychiatrist describing to you uh, the time they had a nightmare that where they uh, you know shucked a deer like an oyster and then used its innards to make a child, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's all it's all it's all calm and and normal, you know. This film, do you want to know what fucked me up? What about Wild Strawberries? Beyond the fact that it's not nearly as wild as it says it is, he released this film the same year as the Seventh Seal. Yep, and like not to get too ahead of ourselves, but any filmmaker who made either Wild Strawberries or the Seventh Seal in a career <laughs> would be happy with it, mm. right? Is 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 Bergman the only director on the list with two films from the same year? Howard Hawks has two uh, on the list, both under the hundred. It's bringing up Baby and Only Angels Have Wings, which are thirty eight and thirty nine. Okay. Um. Well, Seven Samurai and Sancho the Bailiff came out same year, mm, but by different directors. Yeah. No, not, yeah. Not, 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 no. 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 Not Yufa. Yeah. Not not all Japanese people are the same director. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I just want to say that on the BFI list is Rashomon, which is fifty. Ohar, the Life of Oharu, fifty two. Ikiru, which is fifty two. Mm. Ugetsu, which is fifty three. Tokyo Story, fifty three. Sancho the Bailiff, fifty four. Right. Yeah. Seven Samurai, fifty four. Which is like no one there is doing two in the same year. There are some mm. the directors repeating across that, but it is like those five years were an were like imagine being a Japanese cinema go yeah. and that year we like uh should I see Sh- Sancho Getsu Sancho. The Bailiff or Seven Samurai. Uh, I mean, Seven Samurai is just another Kurosawa film. Right. Gosh. Yeah. And Kenji Mitsuguchi did Dugetsu, Sancho, and Life of Haru in like in three years. Yeah. Which is insane. Well, yeah. And that is. It's like how Spike Lee did his first six movies in six years. There is one other case mm. uh, uh, on the top 250. Uh, of someone directing two films in the same year and then both being on the BFI list, which is, of course, Francis Ford Coppola directing The Conversation and The Godfather Part 2. Right, yeah. Uh, And considering that also the year before that he directed The Godfather. And and like, and, and, and the year after that was a, oh no 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 apocalypse now was like six years later. But like yeah. I think like he started apocalypse yeah. now the year after that. But yeah, that long divergence will be very short. Yes. Uh, what what your dear listeners? What you're missing? What what you just missed was oh, five minutes of me reading out films that came out in the same year. You know that that cool bit I left in about uh, that 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 five year period in Japanese cinema. Imagine, it, was, it was like that, but uh, much longer. And, and I would call it, I, I think it was interesting. I'd say it's the worst bit we've ever done. <laughs> no. <laughs> Do you not remember uh, how I tried to begin the previous episode with, so Finn, tell me, who is your favourite cinematic pedophile? <laughs> <laughs> it's Hans Beckett from M. No, I'm... It's implied. Yeah, no, 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 but, like, James Mason is Humbert Humbert. No, I st- I st- I've still never seen that. It's one of, like, three proper Kubrick films I've never seen. What are the improper Kubrick films? 
uh, that I've never seen. 2001, uh, Girls Gone Wild. Uh, the, the Flying Padre. <laughs> I have seen that. Yeah. I, I, yeah, you, you saw it recently, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm, uh, I'm like, I'll fill in some gaps. Yeah. And it was, it's on Mubi, I think. Oh, okay. Or somewhere. It was, maybe it's even on YouTube. I saw, I, I just saw yeah. it on a There's screen. like The Flying this. Padre, The Day of the Fight. Yeah. And then oh, the, yeah, like, no, one other one. Yeah. No, I, I've seen those that they're, they're, they're like fine. But they're, they're also, like, yeah. they're, they're cultural. They are like watching. They are like if in a hundred years, no, if in 50 years, Joe Pena, um, off the back of Arctic becomes a great monumental director, which I want to be clear. I don't think is absurd. Arctic shows a lot of premise and promise and is an incredible first feature. And I cannot wait, uh, uh to see what he does next. Uh, ch- check it out. If you've not seen Arctic, Mads Mikkelsen fights a bear. Like it's strong, yeah. Um, and, and there's a lot of really good visual storytelling. But if people were like, "Yeah, Joe Pennant, I've seen his original things, um, and, uh, his original work, and that included all of his YouTube videos as Mystery Guitar Man." So it is like then they're barely. It's not that they're bad. Yeah, they're just such, and like yeah, the Flying Padre is a kind of semi documentary about. A, a, priest a priest that can fly, yeah. yeah, and you're like, and it's like, yeah, oh. it's not, it's not even, it's not even that the goalposts have shifted. Is that it's like you are trying to hit a hockey puck on a, uh, on, a, oh, on a field hockey field? Yeah, yeah, exactly like that. Did you? You seem like you played hockey. Nope. Oh, what? Okay, ice dancing, rugby. <laughs> oh, you've got like you could be a wing. Maybe. <laughs> Netball? No. Basketball? No. Basketball? No. Just playing the bass? No. Harry Potter? No. You didn't play... Um, Quidditch? What? Yeah, no. that's it. Not even once? No. What about tic-tac-toe? Uh, not, not, not professionally. Chess boxing? No. Bus checksing? Nope. Um, Rock'em sock'em robots? <laughs> but with people. <laughs> Oh god! Yeah, so you get like electrodes attached. <laughs> yeah, attached I can't believe we had the same yeah. thought. Yeah. No, just att- yeah, because that's never happened before in this podcast. <laughs> but le- specifically <laughs> attaching electrodes. That is like a scene from Salo. As I said, Bigman made well released at the very least. Wild strawberries and the seventh seal in the same year. Mm. And like the most interesting thing about both of those films. Um, it is and, and it's 1957. He would make films for 30 more years. Yep. Um, we're in a real Sunset Boulevard situation, except twice. <laughs> uh, in that you have a relatively young director in terms of what we know their career to be. Yeah. Uh, even though you know this, um, he, he'd been making films for like 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 20 years at this point. Uh, ten. If he'd been making films for 20 years at this point, he'd have been making films since he was, uh, like, 17. Not, like, professionally, but he, he was doing like amateur film stuff before yeah. he became a proper director. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah absolutely. But uh, in terms of, you know, yeah. what is listed on Wikipedia, yeah. it goes back 10 years. And, yeah, he is at a point where he is a third into his career in mm. terms of films produced and, you know, a quarter into his career in terms of, like uh the years he made films and yet he is making films that very much feel like i I was about to say mature but but all of his films seem 
emotionally mature. Mm. That uh, that is kind of the defining thing about Bergman is that there is this like uh, uh, the the honesty that comes with age about how people feel yeah. uh, and interact and how unknowable that can be. Um, but they feel like films you make before quitting, like both like wild strawberries really feels like someone's last film. Yeah. It feels like, Oh, I'm going to, I haven't made a film in 10 years. I'll, you know, I'll, 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 I'll do something. Yeah. And it, it's an easy film to do that with. Cause you're like, it's a film about an old man looking back on his life. So it kind of feels like it's, so, like, it's easy to feel like it's the director also doing that, well, being and, an old man looking back on his life. And because uh, the lead character, Professor Isaac Borg, is played by Victor, oh, okay, Sejostrum. There are two umlauts on those O's, so I'm very sure I'm saying that wrong, but mm. that was my genuine attempt, and, and I apologize. Was Sweden's D.W. Griffith. Mm. He was the biggest director of the Silent Age. He directed the Phantom Carriage, which uh, I haven't seen, but I've I've heard of. Yeah, I do not believe I have seen any of his work. But like looking through the list and even just seeing the poster images or the feature images, I'm like I rec- I recognize yeah. I I recognize these. Um, and he and this is so and because he is doing it because Bergman is doing it through a suggestion. Um, it feels like they're both doing it together. It mm. feels so strange that this film that it has so much like affinity and this view of this like 80, 70, 80 year old man. Yeah. He's been that the, the, the plot is, um, the, this doctor has been practicing for 50 years and so is going to get like he's been given an honorary doctorate by yeah. by the university and he has to get from the the like small country town that he lives in stockholm oh okay you know okay. what, so you know what i hear about stockholm because obviously there's stockholm syndrome mm. and like for ages in stockholm people hated stockholm syndrome mm. existing they're like yeah. I, we cannot work with Stockholm syndrome existing, and then they eventually got quite close to it, and now people in Stockholm they love Stockholm syndrome. Oh, fascinating. He's taking a bow, taking a bow. Oh, so the audience is throwing roses in. He's oh no, there's, there are too many bouquets. He's been cru- <laughs> the fawns, the fawns are stabbing him. Ah, ah. Oh, he's 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 climbing out from under the pile. He's 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 bloodied. His skin is torn, but he's 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 triumphant. I gotta tell you, it is worth having this live audience at all of our records, who we swear to silence. We do not mic them. There, James. (laughs) We put tape over mouths. We put mittens on the hands. We lock them up, (laughs) but we do give them. giant bouquets of roses to throw at us whenever we do an especially tasty joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what makes a joke tasty is that when you've been cooking it, you crack, when you cook it for the last few minutes of cooking it, you crack the oven so it gets all crispy. Now, crispy jokes are generally bad. You know, I think a tasty joke is sort of like pornography. Like, you, you, like you, it's <laughs> okay. one of those things. Like, you, you know it when you see it. A tasty joke is a lot like pornography. Uh, it is v- increasingly hard on the internet to find a moral one. 
um, uh, to an even faintly moral <laughs> one, and the tasty jokes are a lot like pornography. pornography. The best ones are about sibling fucking. <laughs> so wild strawberries. Uh, uh, it's about some strawberries that are wild. Yes, have been over. <laughs> so Isaac Borg, wi- widowed seventy-year-old physician. Yeah, he's he's traveling, uh, uh, driving across across Sweden to Lund. Yeah. To, yeah. to be awarded the degree of Dr. Jubilaris, the Golden Doctor, which is, yeah, after 50 years, you're invited to your university mm. to be give, given a doctorate. Um, he's accompanied by his daughter-in-law, Marianne. Yeah. Uh, who he, is, he, he, he was supposed to fly there with his living housekeeper of 40 years, uh, yeah. Miss Agda. Who is uh, just incredible. She's, she's very good. The, the beginning of the film is, you know, an achingly well-performed and reflective monologue from Borg about, like, I'm old now, time has passed, my wife mm. is dead, blah, blah, blah. But then we get almost right into him and Agda. Well, no, then, then, then there's the dream sequence, and then he wakes up and talks to her. Oh, yes. This now... Here's a thing about Bergman's Bird. really good at dream sequences. Do you think there's some very good ones in prison? Yeah. Um he he dreams he's walking the streets of Stockholm. Yeah, but it, but it, but it's 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 deserted and like like ruined and the and- sun is super bright mm. just beaming down on him almost flipping him into a spectral being. He sees a man who's dressed in clothes like him. He runs up to him. He's facing the other way. And he's got one of those faces from the wall. Or possessor. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and then he finds like an old funeral car, uh, funeral procession led by a horse. And the. What, what's a horse doing? What is the horse doing? It's drawing a carriage. Oh, right, right. I was just like, was it talking? It's a dream sequence. There's so many things. Well, it was Mr. Ed. They hired Mr. Ed. <laughs> There's a horse drawn hearse. Mm. It's going through the streets. Uh, and it gets uh, it, it doesn't seem to have a driver it's getting it, it gets stuck on a on a on a lamppost and the, the horse like the, the, one, one of the wheels gets like stuck on the lamppost and and the, the the horses can't can't get it unstuck and so they they're just like pulling against it and eventually it knocks over the the lamppost and the wheel breaks and and the the horses like bolt off and now like pulling the carriage out from but the carriage is like lopsided now and the coffin falls out of it and crashes onto the ground and he walks over, and he looks down into the coffin, and who is it? Oh, it was Darth Vader the whole time. <laughs> no, uh, it, it's him. Yeah. And, and it is, there is this quiet sense, uh, uh, like, this all sounds just incredibly obvious dream sequence both. Yeah. But because, like, of Bergman's, like, I want to say restrained, mm. but, like, unaffected aesthetic, He's just observing, and, and, and with the the weird kind of openness uh, of Borg's of of Sojostrom's uh, performance. Well, I think the J is making like a Y sort of sound. Siostrom. Siostrom. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go and Google Translate and just Siostrom or Sojostrom's performance is that this does feel. It is one of those dream sequences that manages without psychedelia or trickery to feel genuinely disquieting mm. like a dream. Yeah, he, 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 even though he's just like, even though they just like found an empty street to shoot on yeah. and you just have the voiceover saying, oh, it was, it was like desolate and ruined. Like it, 
the way that Bergman shoots it, it, it like it genuinely feels like that, even though the buildings kind of seem fine. And uh, and then he he wakes up from that, and he has some just incredible banter with, uh, uh, as Finn said, Agda, his ha- his housekeeper, who both like insists on formality. She wants no intimacy with him, like no 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 interpersonal intimacy. Um. And while he is just kind of like a grumpy old guy, and it, there's just something, it, it manages to so quickly express to us through their sniping. Oh, yeah. Seastrom. Seastrom. Thank you. Thanks, Google. But yes, yeah, so quickly. And like, it is the deftness and, and how good and how quickly Bergman has become good. Like, part of what makes this film feel so much like a final film someone is making when they're 70 is how each scene has actually quite a complicated goal Mm. and finds the least fussy way of getting to it but just does it magically so like this this scene uh of of borg and agda kind of squabbling communicates both of their personalities that he is kind of this distant slightly scroogled grumpus and that she is this um haughty but earthy uh uh, uh, housekeeper yeah and and uh, and they are constantly at loggerheads but also they care deeply platonically i Mm. think for each other yeah she kind of reminded me of, of the butler character from a new leaf who's just like very interested in keeping old traditions alive of you know the, the like master and servant yes absolutely mm. and also just that sense of someone the the thing that the butler the agda has mm. that that butler in a new leaf if you haven't seen a new leaf check it out the fact that it's only elaine may's third best film is less an insult to it than the fact that she made two five star all time should be we should be they should be they should be sound films on the bfi list um which is mikey and nikki and uh the heartbreak kid Kid, which are but but like check it out but what agda has is there is also a sense of her as a person outside of her job like she she lives in but you get this, there's this whole sense of another life. And this is all captured in a, a, a one to three minute sequence of of her being like, why are you taking the car? I wanted to fly. And him being like, I'm the boss. I get to drive. Where's my coffee? And she's like, I'm going to make you coffee. You just woke me up, you know? And, uh, yeah, she, she, she tells him like, why are you trying to ruin the most important day of my life? I was going to go on a plane. <laughs> and listening, listening back to previous episodes... Because, as Tim Bat once said to you, seems like we have a lot of free time on our hands. <laughs> yep. um, I, I've noticed I use the word charming a lot, and mm. I want to isolate specifically what I mean when I call something charming. Right. Uh, and, and what I say when I think something is charming, especially how we meet a character, is that you get the sense immediately of who they are as a person, and that you want to spend time with them as a fictional character. Yeah. Like, um, Minari, I think, an incredible film. We'll talk about it at the end of the year. Well, I certainly will. Um, No, you will as well. I just don't want to speak for you. I'm not... I'm not outing you as, like... (laughs) As a Minari hater. Yeah. Um, 
is that so much I think of the success of that film is how charmed by every major cast member you are mm. and about how immediate you're like, I know all of these people. I want to spend time with all of them. And that's why that film feels as much as it clearly has protagonists feels like an ensemble film. It's yeah, it's uh, anyway. And so that like, that is the sense. So I just feel, so I'm so charmed by this guy, even though he's grouchy, he's stubborn, he's, egotistical yeah and and then so he starts driving to lund with marianne yeah she's married to his son edvold and uh she she's she's been staying with him for the last like month or so and now she's decided she wants to go back home and there is a tension between them and the first thing they talk about is that evald owes his Uh, dad isaac yeah yeah money and that he's paying it off five thousand a year and, and but his dad is like he got a better job though he should increase those payments like he's mm. fucking Baycorp that's right this is a Baycorp call out post and, and like pretty soon after they get in the car and while they're having this conversation about about Evold and his debt to Isaac Marianne says to him the thing about your son is uh he hates you yeah he he like you you two are exactly the same you're both cold distant heartless shit men and he fucking hates you. <laughs> And Isaac is all like, oh, oh, wow. Hmm. Well, and he, he, and again, this is one of those moments of complexity because, mm. of course, he entirely performs being unbothered by it. Yeah. And attempting to take control of the situation. Like, this is the moment where she's like, I'm going to smoke. And he's like, don't smoke in the car. Um, women shouldn't smoke. It's, a, it's an ugly vice for women. And, and then uh, she's like, what should women do? And he's like, you know, have children. Look at sunsets. Oh, no, no, no. She, 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 she asked, what, what vices should women be allowed? Yeah. And he said, like, weeping. <laughs> ch- <laughs> he's like, weeping childbirth. And there's one other one. It's just. It's, it's so good. Yeah. Fuck, it's just. In, it's, it's exquisite. Um, and and they're both great they along the way uh, uh, I don't think we need to break down the trip in specific detail Mm. because it's more the sense of like quite early on they stop by a a family house right? Yeah they stop at the lake house where his extended family used to spend summers in the early 1900s and and there, there was a long flashback sequence where you, where you see Isaac uh, sitting by a patch of wild strawberries. Yeah, and it is worth saying, wild strawberries, obviously, the title of the film. And it is also, I believe, a saying of nostalgia for youth. Yeah, in, of, in, of in, in Sweden. Or I'd, I presume if, it, if that's true in Sweden, it's also true in... Norway. Finland. Not nor- no, 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 it's Denmark and Sweden that hate each other, right? I don't know. Um, I, I've I've not I've not really kept up on 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 the on the politics of of Scandinavia. No, it, it's Denmark because in Kingdom Hospital, the Lars von Trier TV show, one of the which is coming back, by the way. Yeah, apparently he's announced he's doing more. Oh, he's doing more. Mm. Okay, I, because there have I mean, okay, the second season is not as good, <laughs> but the first season, one of the characters who who's a Danish doctor. Mm. 
goes and stands on the top of the hospital, which is near the border with Sweden, and just yells insults at Sweden. Right. Uh, it's actually pretty good. I just want to say, if you can morally deal with Lars von Trier, which I I believe he's a grey area filmmaker, I, I don't believe he's actually... You know, anyway, um, I would... Uh, I, uh, uh, I would recommend Kingdom Hospital. Anyway, to rewind a bit further, so he finds this patch of wild strawberries and he remembers, he, he has what I'm going to term a backflash into his mm. past where he remembers a time his, the family was all there and he yeah. was young. Um, and the, the actor who plays him young is the actor who plays Eval. Correct? No, we don't see the younger version of him. It's, uh, oh, it's always him. Yeah, it, it's it's like Defy Bloods. Yeah, every time there's a flashback, everyone else is the like young versions of themselves, but but he, uh, but but still Isaac. Uh, oh yeah, it, no, yeah. no, I just it, it, it's it's still it's still Theostrom playing play, playing Isaac. You're right. I just I thought that in the first there is a dinner scene which he is not in. Yeah, where I thought one of them was him, but it's his brother, the brother, and, and so he, um. He has a cousin. Uh, uh, who doesn't? I mean, right. many people don't. So we see we see his cousin Sarah, yeah, played by BB Anderson, who was in a bunch of Bergman's films. Yeah, she was in Persona, The Same Seal, Wild Strawberries, Scenes from a Marriage. She was one of the like defining Bergman actresses, and, and she is. Uh, she's one of those people who you see her, and, and by the very fact that you're so used to seeing her in, in Bergman or mm. in images from Bergman, that that she it feels like an icon. That, and the way yeah. that, like, uh, J- Jimmy Stewart in the wheelchair in Rear Window, is you're like, oh, this is like a sculpture. This is like David, yeah. you know? Or, um, uh, uh, you know, Samuel L. Jackson and, and John Travolta with guns and suits, and you're like, Oh, yeah. Yes, of course. David. Yeah. Uh, we should also say that the character of Marianne is played by Ingrid Thulin, who was one of who was one of the other like defining yep. actresses who was in this Cries and Whispers, Winterlight, Hour of the Wolf. Yeah. And they're all just excellent. Yeah. And, and so and Isaac and Sarah have a. They, they talk. She's picking strawberries at someone's birthday. She's going to give the strawberries as a present yeah it's their their uncle's birthday uh, and, and and he's like oh let's a date and she's like no okay so no that that that's his brother so so yes so, this yeah. is where this is yeah. why i was confused yeah yeah so so he so uh, isaac is still is still an old man he is like off to the side and he's watching yeah he, he is watching and it and he was watching them when he was young in the past uh yes yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and so he he him and him and Sarah are engaged. Uh, secretly, uh, other people don't know. Other people aren't supposed to know about yeah. it. But uh, but another great line is, "Oh yes, you're engaged so secretly that everyone knows." Yeah. Ugh. And Sarah is in the is in the wild strawberry patch. She is picking strawberries for their uncle's birthday. And then Isaac's brother comes along, and he is uh, a big old shithead. He comes over and he starts talking with her, and he sits down with her and starts like hitting on her one bit where he's sitting next to her and he does i think the most early 1900s pickup line i've ever heard which is mm, it's a very beautiful nape you've got 
And then there, there's yeah. another bit where he's talking about her, and it's like she has a beautiful collarbone and incredible thighs. <laughs> where you're like, yeah, okay, like mm. I, okay. <laughs> I mean, people like what they like, but it just I don't really see like how can you fraught a neck? Oh no, there are many ways. Anyway, how would you fraught a neck? I I don't know. Just improvise. He looked to the right, now he's shaking his hand. He's put his both sands out, taking off his glasses. Is he going to use his glasses? You know, he's using his glasses to puncture his eyes, scramble his yeah, brain. Where we're going, we don't need eyes. <laughs> it, we keep bouncing off this film in our conversation. And, and I, can I tell you why I think that is? Why? It's because this film feels especially hard to talk about. Because describing it in almost is almost a unique case, uh, as much as. But last week we did the joke of you describing a Charlie Chaplin routine. Yeah, um, it feels like this because this film is so much uh, about feeling and subtext and, and and different ways of looking at the world intersecting that that just describing the scenes and plot feels not just like we're attempting to capture magic, but that like we are reducing it to yeah. like simply being like, yeah, he has this memory about a woman named Sarah that both he and his brother are in love with. And she preferred um, her, her uh, and she preferred her brother, his brother uh, and married her and, and he was heartbroken and, 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 you know, they all had, they all had presents and there was a great scene with twins uh, together. The scene with twins is it's like none of those things. Like, all of those things are true, but what it is about is all of those scenes together add to this just, like, incomparable feeling of someone thinking about their younger time. And, like, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm 45 years younger than the character in this film, but, like, I understand that feeling. Yeah. uh, And how it, it evokes it. Oh, it's great. So he he comes out of this this backflash, yeah, and uh, all of a sudden there is a young woman next to him. Yeah, uh, this uh, uh, this woman is called uh, Barrett. No, she's the angry wife. This oh. is the other Sarah, who is played by the same actress. Oh, yeah, right, right, right. right. There's this young woman that- who is a double. Who is the Sarah is a double for Sarah. There are two Sarahs split across time, like not like Billy Pilgrim. They're they're two individuals. Mm. Uh, and Sarah, it's, it's like it's like in the life and death of Colonel Blimp. Yeah, <laughs> or oh, just personal history of David Copperfield. So this first group, or Universal Soldier Every, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> or just <laughs> you know every film we've watched, it's a trend. Mm. Um, every uh, uh, she is um, Sarah in the present day. Uh, uh, she's got two friends with her, yeah, and she's kind of dating both of them. Yeah, they're, they're called Anders and Victor. The three of them are traveling to Italy. Victor is going to become a priest. Yeah. And Anders is going to become, like, a scientist, and Anders is an atheist, and Victor's a Christian. And, there's... and they keep squabbling about it. Yeah. And Sarah is a firm agnostic, and it's like, why would anyone think that they knew? And she is constantly like, teasing both of them and changing her mind on which one she likes more. Uh, and these three together are like 
characters from a 60s Godard film. Yeah, they're like, in short like pants. four years before Godard started doing films like. But like, not a coincidence. Yeah. I think. But they, like, they they feel so modern. Feels like such an interruption of Isaac's old man sad sack well, and, journey. And even compared to Marianne, mm. they feel young. Yeah, and they feel they feel like the present intruding on the past. Mm. And they are, again, once again, a group of people who you are absolutely charmed by. Yeah, they're all great immediately. And so they come along for the ride. Yeah, because uh, Isaac agrees to give them a lift to Lund. Along the drive, you know, they, they squabble a bit, they talk about life, as they do, getting into detail again, reducing it. A car nearly drives into them and flips over. In it is an arguing couple Barrett and Sten, yeah. that that's Gunnar Sjöberg and, and Gunnel Brostrom. And, and, oh, we should say that Anders and Victor are Folkesundquist and Bjorn Bielfenstam. Yep, that's why I wasn't going to do it. No, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, th- th- this, this car, which is like... It- oh, no, I just think we should put, like, praise and celebrate all of this yeah, car. No, they're, they're, they're all great. Uh, did we say... Uh, uh, that Julin Kindal is Agda. I just. Oh, no, no, we, fucking, we, we didn't. Ho- hooray for her. Yeah. Um, we've already skipped past Max von Sydow. Um, oh, right, yeah. Uh, was a gas station attendant, uh, and Anne Marie Wyman was his wife. Mm. And any, anyway, um, but, but they were great there. But this, this anger, the, like, they are listed in the cast as angry wife and angry husband. It's like, sorry, we crashed. I, uh, I was going to hit my husband, so I looked away. Yeah. And you see that they are just constantly arguing with each other. Yeah. They, they, they are the like platonic ideal of a bad marriage. They both hate each other. They're constantly like needling each other, yeah. trying, trying to like, get the other person to break down or erupt in violence. And they eventually build to that point eh, eh, where in the car um, she slaps him. And uh, so Marianne, who's driving, stops the car and is like, get out. Well, well. Like, yeah, she's like, stop doing this in front of the children, you freaks. Yeah. And, and that's great. And like the interesting thing, the reason I stressed how charmed by the, the trio of youth I was is that like so much as the control of this film is that you meet these characters, they are as deep and conflicted and they're not as like, we have many more reasons to hate Isaac. Hmm than to hate these guys. But as soon as you meet them, you're like, nah, not you guys. Like, the fi- the film trains you so well in, in, in how you feel about people. After they kick the squabbling couple out of the car, they stop for lunch, where Victor and Anders uh, argue about God some more. And Sarah and Isaac talk about which is their favourite, mm. or which should her favourite out of the two of them be. Yeah. And... He is talking to her, like she is talking about Anders and and Victor and Victor, and he is talking about himself and his brother in the past. Yeah, and it is just like, like obviously the film is great. Obviously the scenes are great. The characters' performances are great. But like there is just in in the the phrasing and shape of those things that it is doing that without being showy about it like the craft on like a word to word or like assuming word to it because it's a translation that we watched um it was it was subs not dubs um is like it is doing it's doing it so easily you don't think about it yeah and it, it's so it's great um 
then uh he has a nap in the car yeah yeah they, they after lunch they continue driving on a bit more he uh, falls asleep and has another uh, has another dream is, is this one where he's like being put on trial yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a combination he is the the angry husband uh is now in his dream as an examiner and yeah. it's kind it, it starts out seeming like the way it is cut into it seems like it could hypothetically it could be him getting his degree maybe it's yeah. been a time dash but then it reveals that it's kind of a test and it starts sort of as his final test you know 40 years 50 years ago to to become a general practitioner doctor uh but like there are nonsense words written on the board which he's supposed to read and he doesn't know what they mean and it's supposed to be like that's the doctor's first duty and it's and so uh Ullman, uh who is now his examiner is like oh no that it says a doctor's first duty is to ask forgiveness you're on trial because you're guilty of guilt <laughs> Um, and in this bizarre and haunting scene, uh, all in the, the like audience is like a lecture theater is yeah. all the characters we've met so far, just staring on, uh, impassively. Then the examiner like le- leads Isaac outside and le- leads him like back in time in- into the woods in 1917, uh, where he, he was married to, uh, when he was married to his wife and, is, is it his brother again? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So, uh, uh, he, like, uh, the, the, the examiner takes him back to, to, uh, to a, to a memory of his of walking through the woods one day and basically seeing his, his brother who, who took Sarah from him now, like, uh, like, ha- ha- having an affair with, with his wife in, 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 the, in the woods. Yeah. And, you can see it's a re- like it. It seems reductionist, but it is like when those moments in a Christmas Carol when you see Scrooge as a young man in the workhouse mm. uh, and you see his personality being formed, like yeah, that like the armadillo armor coming around his personality. Like it is just in this one thing, him seeing but not intervening, and ne- and, and like it's revealed to us that he never told them that he knew. Yeah. Um. And it's like you're like, oh, that kind of explains why he's such a shit in 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 the present, mm. and that this is his self hatred for that, and it's never stated. Like when he is told that he is guilty of guilt and that he needs to ask forgiveness, like this is the moment he's talking about. Just oh, after yeah. he wakes up, he notices that, that the car has stopped, and he asks what's going on, and and Marianne tells him that uh, that the like teenagers all. Uh, like they they found out that he was getting his honorary doctorate, and that they were all super proud of him, so they wanted to get out and pick flowers for him. Yeah, and it cuts to outside the car, and you see them all picking a giant bouquet of flowers, and they come over and and like and give it to him, and be like, "Oh, you must be so old and wise." And he's like, uh, "Yes, yeah." And uh, is this the point where where Sarah says, "I love you" to him? She doesn't. She's not like, "I love you," mm. but it's like, "No, oh, you're great. I love you. I love this old guy." And he says, "I remember. I'll I'll remember that." Uh, I, I think I, I think it's like right at the end. Oh yes, yeah. and you're right. It is. But man, oh, is what a film. <laughs> um, yeah, they stop. They stop at his mother's house. His mother, who is this, uh, uh. 
to give her a character type, I would call her a crone. Yep. There's a real Havisham vibe to her. Yes. Uh, absolutely unpleased by the world and it's changing. She, like with Manian, she's like, why haven't you had a kid? I had 10 kids. Yeah. I bought 10 kids. Come on. Well, what are you doing here? Why, why are you at home with your husband and child? And Marion says, well, we, don't, we don't have a kid. And then she's like, Ugh. I had 10 kids by the time I was your age, basically. Yeah, I bore 10 yeah. kids. Um, it, and you see, and, uh, and and that scene doesn't really last long, and you see kind of the disconnect and between father, between mother and son yeah. there, and, and what a factor that is. And then as they continue to drive, oh no, it is, while they are picking flowers for him, mm-hmm. uh, They've seen the mother. He has the dream. Right. They're off picking the flowers. And then inspired by seeing his relationship with his mother, Marianne talks right. to Isaac uh, about why she is with Evald, why she is with his son. Mm. Uh, and, and it is basically like she, like they were a casual thing. They got, she got pregnant and he is older than her a bit. Right. And yeah. and they had this, and this is the first time we see him in person. We get a flashback. Sorry, a back, back flash, and to, it's gonna be on strand. Yeah, uh, what a name mm. matched only by his talent. <laughs> um, and, and and he's no gunner death rage or Deathridge, who who is a Project Runway contestant. Okay, um, uh, is that he? Uh, he was, and he's just kind of both being quite a dick about it. And also, like, it is quite that past film things of being like, well, I don't like this, but I guess we'll have to get married. Right? No. Okay, that- so I, I, so from my, my reading of the scene is that they, they were married, but they'd, they'd, like, agreed not to have children because he hates the idea of life. And, and so she... Oh, no, yeah, they're talking about keeping the kid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so she, she, she announces that she's pregnant, and, and he... Is basically like, well, no, that's that's not acceptable, essentially, yep. because the 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 only thing I care about is dying. Yes. I want to be dead as soon as possible. That is right, and yeah. that is kind of the thing. Uh, yes, and he's like, oh yeah, I'm watching a Bergman film. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, there's just two sad Swedish people sitting in a car. One of them talking about how the only thing they look forward to is <laughs> is their imminent demise. Yeah, a film that he made and released in the same year, in of which. He released a film about a man playing death at chess to remain immortal, <laughs> uh, and that that in one year he made statements about like the foolish pain of wishing for or avoiding death. Yeah. Um. Uh, I've Finn. I'm beginning to think that this Bergman guy, a bit of a talent. <laughs> I think uh, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Um, certainly seems like it. I mean, uh, no one's heard of him though. He, obscure film director, Ingi Bergmolo. Obscure <laughs> film director Ingrid Bergman. So he is. So Borg is being confronted by his aloofness and his grumpiness, both seeing it in his mother and hearing about it in his son, mm. who. Of like he is very like both of them, and he, and confronted with the his memories of the events that led to that, he builds to this point where he he goes through. He's promoted to Doctor Jubilaris. He gets his 
honorary degree that it's this big ceremony yeah, the, the trio everyone's in the audience the army fires cannons outside and, and but he is narrating that's like this was supposed to be the highlight but i feel nothing yeah uh this is just hollow and so he then he they say goodbye to 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 the hitchhiker trio that's the bit yeah yeah uh, uh um i love you i'll remember and yeah, they like drop him off in Lund in, in Lund earlier in the day. Yeah, and then that that night he's he's back at his house and no, he, he's at his son's house. Oh right, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He, he's at his Lund. son's house and he hears singing outside the window. He goes and looks out, and it's Victor, Anders, and Sarah are outside. Uh, Victor is uh, playing guitar, and they they they, they sing a nice song about, about how much they like him. Yeah, and yeah. and it is just it's just a got it's just a scene from Band Apart that wasn't filmed. Yeah, it it is it is it is breathless. It's incredible. Yeah, I mean they then uh 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 then uh, Anders and Victor both run off, and and Sarah stays behind for a second, and she says, you know, I yeah I I I'm I'm trying to figure figure out which one of them I love, but I know that I love you the most. Yeah, and then she runs off. Super cute. Um, and, and uh, yeah, and then that's when he says, "I'll remember that." And, and he so he goes to to sleep, and, uh, in uh, in 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 a bed in his son's house, and he hears his son come home, and he and his son have a moment together, where he is kind of like, "Oh man, I was a shit dad. Sorry, but not in those words." Yeah, the journey that he's taking this day is has changed him and how he wants to relate to his son but he doesn't fully know how to express it and his son is not ready to hear it really and so he's about to tell his son that he that he wants to like forgive his debt he says about the money you owe me and he just gets cut off he's like yeah no I'll, I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna pay you back and he wants to say like no no that's not what i meant but then then marianne comes in and and evil just takes an excuse to leave immediately um and it is like Again, yeah, by describing it, it makes a sound like this arc sounds almost hacky that like he starts grumpy and he ends up happy. It's Christmas Carol. But like the nuance and subtlety that it is so clearly a set of gradual revelations slowly shaping this man. And Mm. um, it it is so it lands so well. Yeah. And, and, And then Marianne comes in. To be like, sorry that Evolved was a dick. We talked, and we're going to keep the kid. He, we're, we're, we're talking about living, and he, and, and Borg is like, I'm sorry I was such a dick. I like you. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, I like you too. Yeah, she gives him a nice little kiss on the cheek. And, and he, he goes to sleep and dreams uh, of, a, of a family picnic back at, back at the house. And I, my, I thought he died. Like I've, this is my first time seeing the yeah. film. I thought he died. My, like my memory yeah. is well, that it's j- about j- just from the like description of the film. It's like, oh yeah, but it ends up him dying. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it is like I'm sure there is a reading that it, he is, but it's not anyway. Um, it is. I feel like we've unpacked it a lot along the way. So Finn, I have a question for you. When it comes to wild strawberries, would you call it? Shite or sound? Uh, I'd call it sound. Yeah, it, it, it's like I'm I'm having such a good time exploring more Bergman. It's all good, and it, everything that he does feels obviously they'll feel very Bergmany. Yeah, but he he's never doing the same thing twice. Yeah, 
and and he is never like and and i think part of the curse of bergman is that that i I rewatched uh persona and hour of the wolf kind of just because i've not since we last did a bergman on this since we did fanny and alexander and, and like before that it was a long time since yeah. i'd seen bergman and i and i kind of wanted to refresh myself and like the thing that both Persona and Hour of the Wolf have a lot more of is that they are kind of peak art film Bergman. Yeah. They are like the black and white people speaking in Swedish, slightly strange things happening in locked off mid shots that, that then became like the code for like when Family Guy does a joke about someone making an art film, it's a parody of that kind of thing. Yeah. But, but when you watch those films, you're like, it works. The problem is that it became a parody. Yeah. And, and like this, I think Wild Strawberries, and I will get to Persona when we get to Persona, but I, I have big questions about Persona. Um, and I think Hour of the Wolf is kind of good because of its flaws. Like Wild Strawberries is such a strong film. Yeah. And, and it is strong, not despite its, cli- it, it is accident- its accidental clichedness of being so Bergman, but it is the film that feels like it's the most, it, the most needs to be Bergman. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. It sounded shit. You do you want to hear a review by someone uh, who, uh, who doesn't agree with it sound, who thinks that, uh, wild stories is in fact, uh, shite. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, uh it takes all sorts to turn the world. Mm. Uh, this is a, a half-star review of Wild Strawberries by uh, Letterboxd user Chris. Uh, hey, Chris. How you doing? Worst writer. Worst director. Worst film. What were you thinking when you made this, bro? This man must have gone to Miami-Dade College for film school and somehow managed to fail every class. I furiously punched holes all over the walls in my room until my hands ceased function. This is the type of shit they play as a torture technique. I'd rather be transformed into a horse with a limp so they blast me away and put me out of my misery. They should rename this White's Talking. There's no writing here, dude. They're just talking out their ass. W- where are the memorable quotes? Where's the fucking story, dude? Who who are these clowns? Somebody lock this monster up. I hate this fucking movie. I think this person might be doing a bit, but I, not, not, I can't fully tell. Uh, this managed to be... With, the, uh, the, this managed to be worse than both Citizen Kane and The Lion King remake. Congratulations, Ingmar. You've now officially made the worst film slash thing I've ever seen in my life. Fuck you. Come fight me or be a pussy-ass bitch. I'm waiting, brother. I'm buying your Criterion box it just so that I can drench it in piss and light it on fire. And then I'm going to make sure to masturbate onto it until I beat my dick senseless, but I won't come because I have no pleasure left within my body as a result of having watched something that is worse than hell itself. I hope you fucking get arrested for this, you fucking asshole. Fuck you and your fans, you ruined all the cinema. I hate you, I hate you. Chris, while we've got you, I just... Wild Strawberries uh, uh, is a film that is about how life is a series of decisions accumulating over time. Yeah, and that's that, about when life gives you strawberries, <laughs> makes, makes strawberry aid. And about how no individual moment, no individual choice seems important but together they shape who we are. And life is so short. There are only so many strawberries. And so, Chris, I I think that we have such a brief flicker of the candle of our lives and that you chose to take up some of it 
writing a kind of middle of the road post 4chan shit post about how you don't like uh, a film that is not for you uh, just to put together the same kind of post Yahtzee Croshaw exaggerated jokes about, ah, oh, I, I hate this film so much. I'm going to kick it so hard. My legs shatter and that's going to make me, come plasma lasers and like cool you can say a lot of words and exaggerate a lot congratulations that there are so many other things you could do like even if you want to do if you want to watch wild stories write, write a negative review of it for clout on letterbox find your own approach and be your own person mm. that's what i'd say to you chris so, uh, do you want to you guess uh, Chris's top four? Yeah. Uh, for some reason, uh, Chris only Can has... I guess that if the one is Fight Club? No. Okay. Can Not, I... None of them are Fight Club. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, uh, Chris only has three films in his top four. Oh, wow. So uh, The Holy Trinity. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the, 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 the first one is, uh, regarded, is, is often regarded as the like, smart pick for the uh, best superhero movie of all time. Uh, Spider-Man 2? Yeah. Yeah. The, the the second film is uh, Kubrick's good. Fight Club. Oh, uh, Clockwork Orange. Yeah. yeah, the one I saw out of the corner of my eye. It's, a, it's an iconic poster. Yeah. And then the the, the third film is a um, is a musical. Clockwork Orange again? Yeah. No. The Lion King? No. Is it in English? It is in English. Okay. You're gonna guess the umbrellas of Sherborg, or one of those? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. Well, this person just uh, just reviewed uh, the umbrellas of Sherborg. Yeah, uh, 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 like three stars. What the f- <laughs> like? How can you not be delighted by the umbrellas of Sherborg? Mm-hmm. Fuck, mate, Chris, you have designed so much of your personality around being edgy and alternative, and you like. I am sure the world has been cruel to you as it has been cruel to everyone else, but you need to find a way to let light into your heart and that performative meanness. I speak from experience. It scabs over. It hurts you. And then you become the thing you are only pretending to be. This is, you have a choice to make, Chris, and that is... You can choose to enjoy the umbrellas of Sherbog, and that can accumulate over time like wild strawberries into you becoming a good person. Uh, okay. It's a musical. Uh, is it animated? No. Uh, okay. Is it singing in the rain? No, but it, it's it's that sort of musical. Oh, um, Mamma Mia? No. No. Uh, that's, that's not that sort of music. They're both jukebox musicals. That kind of musical. Uh, Mary Poppins? No. No, more, 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 more of a singing in the rain style musical. Oh, right, like uh, West Side Story. No, no, not, not, not that time period necessarily, but, but that sort of that, La La Land. Yeah, Chris. Chris. Chris, are you listening? You do not flatly, empirically, 
get to throw white as a negative descriptor at wild strawberries <laughs> while placing La La Land, a incredibly white film, whiter, I would say, than wild strawberries. Yeah. And wild strawberries is Swedish. <laughs> so, uh, Finn. Yeah. Have you ever, you know, when, um, when I've spent my entire life privatizing hospitals and I get sick <laughs> for the first time? Yes, tell me about it. Ooh, what a hassle. Ben, mm? do you remember when you were like a kid? Sure. And you were like, the example in my head is in a waiting room at uh, uh, at a doctor's, for a doctor's mm. appointment. And, you know, you're there with your family yeah. and it's taking a bit longer than usual. Oh. Well, yeah, because the, 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 um, uh, uh, how capitalism forces medicine to arrange itself in terms of scheduling and, and funding creates issues, uh, and, and most doctors are trying their best. Um, but you know how you're waiting in that waiting room, and, and you'll be there for ages, and you and it might it, it was probably just for ten or twenty minutes, but because you're a kid, that's literally an infinity because yep. every experience is new. And so you kind of end up learning every detail of the room. Like you feel like you get stuck in there. Like there is a dentist's office waiting room that is printed on my mind better than some houses I've lived in. You know, you know that feeling Mm. and how it kind of feels like you are like in a way I'm kind of still in that dentist's waiting room. I'm still kind of floating there forever. You understand that feeling? That is what watching the film The Bucket List is like. The The film The Bucket List uh, was released in 2007, directed and produced by Rob Reiner. And directed written, by journeyman director Rob Reiner. Yeah, for, uh, who made North, yep. uh, the film that inspired the title of Roger Ebert's book, I, I hated, 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 hated this movie. movie. Um, and, and written by Justin Zachman, it was a winner on the blacklist of best unproduced screenplay yep. and kind of... Uh, revealing that once and for all there is absolutely no way that that list is not riddled with industry plants yeah because uh there there is no level at which this film is in any way uh there no effort like, is anywhere in this film. yeah uh, 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 like uh, when when people talk about the when people talk about the 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 blacklist scripts you're like Oh, you know, th- th- this is where like this is where all the scripts that are too interesting for for Hollywood go. Yeah. And, and like, uh, apart from apparently inventing the the phrase the bucket like bucket list, this is one of the least ambitious scripts I've I've ever seen in a film. It, it feels like a case of like you know the Richard Linklater film tape. No, that is uh, the Richard Linklater film tape is a direct adaptation of a play, mm. which is uh, and it's a play that then was set entirely in one room. Uh, the playwright has since a. Uh, updated the script of tape to include other scenes in part to distance it from the film. The film oh, okay. is good. Check it out. Um, it is from that uh, m- m- aughts era when people were shooting films on mini DV. So, mm. uh, you know, if you've ever decided what Uma Thurman would look like with pretty heavy color compression all over her face, check it out. Mm. But Ethan Hawke, Robert Shin Leonard, it's a good time. Um, but that is. The, the guy from House. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and Ethan Hawke and Robert Shin Leonard are friends. They became friends working on the Dead Poets Society. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, and and Uma Thurman was at the time married to Ethan Hawke. 
and, and it's just in a hotel room and they just shot it there. And it, like that works yeah. because uh, that cast is great and Richard Linklater uh, knows how to direct things. Yes. Um, but there is also a sense that it, it feels like it's just a play. The bucket list. And I want to remind people that I am a playwright <laughs> when I say this. Plays are incredible. I believe they have the most power of any art form when done well. But the bucket list is like Tate in that it feels like just like it genuinely films like no changes have been made to it and it's a play. Yeah. The first 40 minutes. Well, okay. So there are two scenes which take up the first five minutes. One where you meet Morgan Freeman. He's a mechanic working in a garage. He knows lots of facts. He's a trivia guy. Uh, and as a trivia guy, there is nothing I hate more than seeing trivia guys in movies because it just reminds me how irritating I can be. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and that, that scene ends with him getting a phone. That was me yeah, no, being I, like, I, I also know that feeling yes. and not like, you are an irritating trivia guy. So that, that scene ends with him getting like a phone call from his doctor where he, it's like, oh, you got no, the test no, results no, no. in it. This is too much detail. No, no I'm just doing the first. I'm talking okay, about the first okay, two Okay, scenes. okay, okay. I just, we, yeah. we, I cannot spend much, much more time in or near the bucket list we've already given the bucket list it seems i'm sure that there are loads of people who worked so fucking hard on the bucket list yeah camera is always in focus scenes are always well lit the green ca- green screen oh no like there are many scenes in this that whether they're not green screen are directed like they're green screen yeah but like there's a lot of really good green screen keying going on in this film i yeah. think um but so when I say that it's like no one cared, I want to emphasize the like. I I I yeah. I don't think Morgan Freeman cared. No. Um. Uh. I think, I, I think Jack Nicholson maybe. Yeah. No. This is like Nicholson is doing subdued Nicholson, mm. and, and the problem is, is that Nicholson needs directors. Mm. Like Nicholson, like. It is telling that the sequel to Chinatown, The Two Jakes, has a script by Robert Town and was a script that was going around for ages that people loved. Yeah. And that film is not bad. It just doesn't exist. And part of that is because he directed himself. Nicholson mm. needs directors. Yeah. And, like, that's not a bad thing, you know? And, and, and like, Jack Nicholson gives, like, a really good performance in A Few Good Men, which is direct, was also directed by Rob Reiner. Yeah. And, like... Rob Reiner directed Spinal Tap. Yeah, he, he directed Reiner. Stand By Me. He's, and, like he's directed lots. Of, he directed Princess Bride. He's made lots of good movies with lots of good performances. And like, also, he's also Rob Reiner from like from When Harry Met Sally or Sleepless in Seattle, possibly both. Like from from, from All in the Family. And he's like, he's gr- like, yeah. I like Rob Reiner. Yeah, and same. like, I I I, can't, I feel like I like him as a person. I like him. I, I like him as a presence, mm. but also, yeah. You sorry. That's yeah. the first scene. Yeah. Then, then the the second scene is uh, is is Jack Nicholson. He is in some sort of courtroom with the like board of trustees of a hospital that he owns. He is a professional hospital privatizer, uh, and th- they haven't been um, they haven't been uh, murdering enough people uh, uh, for him to to grease the wheels of capitalism. Uh, and so he gets up and he gives a speech about like I've successfully privatized fifteen public hospitals. And and at that point I was like, oh okay, I I know this movie's going to end with him dying because there's a 
there's like some Morgan Freeman narration at the beginning that says, oh, this guy died on blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, good. I hope he dies sooner, actually. Well, and we're kind of, we're not, but he's supposed to be a jerk. Yeah. But because he's Jack Nicholson, I think he's supposed to be a lovable jerk. Yeah. But the problem but, but, is, but, is but, but, but this film thinks he's a jerk because he's like rude to people and hasn't seen his daughter in ages when he's actually a jerk because he's been instrumental in destroying America's health system. <laughs> I mean, I think America did, played a big, like the 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 in sure the, sure, but like privatize, privatization doesn't happen without people to privatize it. Oh yeah, but I I would just say that like baked in in some ways to the idea of America is a suicide cult idea yeah. of exceptionalism, where which uh, naturally builds to act to clearly and pointedly working to your own citizenship ships active harm and that being rewarded yeah so he, he he does this big speech and one of the things he says is you know i run hospitals not health spas and every room in my hospital there's 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 two beds to a room no exceptions i mean yep. he immediately uh, starts like coughing and he does a classic pick up a handkerchief cough into it his blood in it tuberculosis sort of yeah, yeah. Uh, and, yeah and so they're they're both they they both go to the hospital and you would never guess, but they're in the same room. What? And, and you- Jack Nicholson's like, oh, but I just wanted a room to myself. And then his assistant Sean Hayes is like, but it would be a PR nightmare because you just said publicly that you two rooms, uh, two beds to room, no exceptions. And then the next, and he's like, rats. Thirty five to forty minutes of this film is and all I, in this one room, and and that's not an exaggeration, right? Yeah, no, it is. There it are, is literally forty minutes before they are out of the room, and and and, and like. And it is also, it is like Reiner as a director is equally as unaffected as Bergman, but like part of Bergman's unaffectedness is that he knows what to show you when, Mm. and he just chooses, he chooses the shot or, and the scale of the shot, the size of the shot that's perfect for the moment. This like Kit Kitteridge and American Girl, it looks like television. Yeah. It is all mids, it's all shot reverse shot. And when you've got forty minutes on one set, like you like cameras are it's two thousand and seven, cameras are light, like you can do stuff. Put it on a ceiling fan, make it spin around for a scene, who can tell? <laughs> oh, just no. just do something. There there's the one bit of this film we enjoyed is that there's a bit where Jack Nicholson is lying on uh, Flash on his bed, but watching television through one of those trick magic shop glasses that have night that forty five degree mirrors in yeah, them. Yeah, the, the, the glasses that are basically like periscopes. Yeah, and so the shot is of like reclining Jack Nicholson, but his eyes are where his eyes would be if it was a mid shot. Yeah, and um, he's doing some like he's doing some like eye acting in this scene, and you're like, that's a piece of visual invention that the rest of the film does not contain. Yeah, there are whole jokes in that scene that are just like. How Jack Nicholson changes his eyes that are hilarious. Yeah. But and no- nothing else of a movie is funny. Yeah. Um, and and uh, to save you the effort, the feature image for this on, on Spotify and other podcatchers is, is of that moment. Yeah. So check that out. Laugh at it. That's the best it gets. So over these 40 minutes um, is essentially stuff you could easily do in five if. And I say this again, you wrote a film like you cared about it. Um, because, you know, they meet each other, they don't like each other. Rich guy, poor guy, mm. white guy, black guy. One's conservative, one's liberal, one wants to live life and has lots of money, one is poor. Any, yeah. you understand. And But then it's like, oh, they slowly learn to like each other. Turns out Morgan Freeman's got a bucket list. 
Jack Nicholson's What's got a, a bucket list? It's a list of things you want to do before you pick the bucket. Yeah, um, which this film actually invented. And so, like, cool. And you already said that, but, like, yeah. good one, Zach Ham. Go back. Like, I hope you enjoy your one season long prestige drama about an Irish boxer that started hot that started Holt McClaney in twenty eleven. Is Holt McClaney, not Holt McClaney. But is that is that an actual thing? That's an actual thing that existed. <laughs> um I mean like sure. And then we cut to them skydiving. We cut to them at the Taj Mahal. Yeah, so they're both dying of cancer. Uh, Both of them have gone into remission, and and Jack Nicholson, finding out about the bucket list, is like, yeah, we'll go do some stuff, because we're friends now. And so they agree to, like, compile a list of things they both want to do before they die, and they go do it. Like, go skydiving, getting a tattoo, visit the pyramids, uh, murder a lion, uh, uh, kiss- Tiger. They they go they go they go to they go to Africa, they go to they go to the oh no they, they were going to kill a tiger they can't kill a tiger so they kill a lion right well they, they 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 go on a lion hunt but two they decide not to kill it yeah but, yeah yeah yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, like kiss the most beautiful girl in the world is on the list change someone's life it see is something majestic climb Mount Everest and it is and you 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 see them do. Most of these things, and but also you see them do most of these things in front of those things. So it's like you get an establishing shot of the Taj Mahal, and then they're on a set, yeah. or like they're at the top of the pyramids. But it does very much seem like they're on a green screen. Yeah, they're they're, 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 they're sitting on they're sitting on like lawn chairs on top of some sand, and it's been green screened to look like the pyramids. And, like, uh, on top of the pyramids, uh, Jack Nicholson is like, yeah, I've got a daughter. I don't talk to her. Her husband beat her up, and so I sorted him out, but she won't talk to me, blah, blah, blah. And it is just, like, this attempt at, like, a character moment. What is the pain of this man? But having Jack Nicholson in a film that feels constantly like it's trying to be comic uh, and is failing... Uh, having a scene where it's like, oh yeah, I had a daughter, had a bad husband, kept beating her up, and it, it just, it is just such a jarring and awful change of tone. Yeah, and um, and, and you never get a real sense of regret about either of them. And it's like coming off Wild Strawberries, both of these films are about regret. Yeah, um, and and, and, I, and Wild Strawberries takes place over a day, and. And and you get such a sense of of this guy's whole life and 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 like all all of the events that have made him who he is and why he and why and like gives him like an actual believable arc of beginning to regret the, the way that he's acted yeah. and changes a person. This movie takes place over three months. Yeah, over, yeah, it takes place over three months with, with like two major fucking movie stars with a list that was on the blacklist by a director who has directed lots of good movies. And and you, north, yeah, and you just you get a sense of nothing. Yeah, one strawberry's portrait of regret manages to be both explicitly and individually unique to this character, mm. and through that specificity, feels universal. Yeah, and, and it's it's also funnier than the bucket list. Oh yeah, but then again, uh, <laughs> uh, like the seventh seal is funnier than yeah. the bucket li- like. Like all, like any film that has more than one successful joke in yeah. it, 
is like Kung Pao into the fist <laughs> is funnier than the bucket list. Yeah. And whenever it tries to give these characters moments of regret, they absolutely don't land. Oh. You do not buy them a lot of the time in this film. And like Freeman and Nicholson are uh 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 Portmans. They are they are actors that need to be in a good film to be good. Yeah. Uh and, and simply by the fact that they are not this ends up a lot of the time feeling like first or second takes of people who are just saying the lines and marking through their movement. And after the early 2000s, Freeman doesn't give a shit about being in a good movie or doing a good job. No, he just uh, is busy... Uh, um, being married to his niece. Yeah, that's right. That yeah. was precisely the detail yes. uh, I was about to... There's another connection between up. this and Wild Strawberries. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he is... Uh, it's, it, it's, it's troubling. Yeah. Um, uh, there, there is something... Yeah, it's flat and affectless and not in like an interesting neutral way. No. But like in a way that is yeah. It, it, in in Karma Police by Radiohead on OK Computer, a band song and album I think are amongst the best ever. Uh uh there's a line that says uh it buzzes like a fridge. And in 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 the, the Grant G documentary meeting people is hard meeting people is easy is what it's called um which is it's great a good music documentary uh there you see an interview with tom york talking about what that means and he's specifically talking about the song creep as well he goes like it buzzes like a fridge is you know those things in the world those pieces of culture tv film where it is not real it's just there it buzzes like a fridge Mm. and like my problem with creep is that it became fridge buzz. Yeah. The bucket list is the most fridge buzz thing I've ever experienced. There's no point in it that's like actively offensive. This is not like um fucking rash, which yeah, I think yeah. is morally repugnant. It's just like you know aerogel, that stuff they use to catch bits of space, <laughs> the lightest thing in the world. Yeah. Like that has more substance. That exists more than the bucket list. Yeah, like on 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 the podcast Blank Check, they they, they, they describe movies like this as something that doesn't exist. Yeah, and yeah, this is totally one of those movies that just fails to exist. Um, but like it feels like out of like an act of negligence, mm. and and so like. You know, there there are problems in Morgan Freeman's life. He doesn't, you know, has he fallen out of his love with his wife? Maybe he needs to to sleep with someone else. A woman flirts with him, but he chooses not to. And then it, I think it turns out that like Jack Nicholson like paid her to try and sleep with him, and and then like that that, that that's when he decides to go back home to his wife, and he leaves Jack Nicholson. And, and yeah, well, no, well, they're well, apart. Well. Then um. Morgan Freeman dies, yeah. and Jack Nicholson gives a eulogy at his funeral about how great he was. And, and but and Morgan Freeman's narration continues. Uh, blah blah blah. Jack Nicholson reunites with his uh, with, uh, with, with, with his estranged daughter, daughter and her daughter, so his granddaughter. Yeah. And the one nice, I think, the one cute bit of storytelling in yeah. the film. On oh, no, I, I think there is a good idea in a film that's it is 90 minutes and starts with 45 minutes of two characters in one location and then two characters with them all over the world yeah like there there is nothing fu- like 
it is less so that there is anything fundamentally wrong with the film than it does not care, mm. you know? But one ni- the nice bit of storytelling is that, he, yeah, he finally meets his granddaughter and she gives him a kiss on the cheek and he gets out the bucket list and crosses off, get a kiss from the most beautiful girl in the world. Yeah. And, like, that's nice. Yeah, it's got one nice moment, it's got one good joke. But like that, but like they, they're, they're like nice moments or good jokes in the way that like you're, you are again, you're waiting at, at, for the doctor and the TV is on and yeah. your, your eyes are pointed at the TV slightly unfocused and you can't really hear, but like there is something happens in an ad, you know, a dog that is trying to get some doggy yum flavored dog food does trips and fall over and you your mouth slightly smiles <laughs> at, or like there's an ad about a kid who's lost his uh tonka yo-yo and, and he finds it and smiles and you're like oh you know like yeah. that is so one of the ads one of those ads for lotto that tries to be heartwarming yeah yes yeah. absolutely um it is yeah, this is just one of those things where I, I, I have a theory about this film and that I, that I think Reiner read the script. I, this is entirely a, a reckon. Yeah. Um, and was like, oh, we're all sitting in this place. What's good then is that we can just focus on the chemistry. We can make everything else around it simple. Yeah. And make, like, we have the technology so we can shoot this all on stages. And so it's just the chemistry with the people. But then I, like Nicholson and Freeman also I presume are not kind of guys who want to do a lot of takes or play with uh, each I other. I mean like yeah, that, that that that's something that like Freeman is known for these days. He 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 apparently no longer lets directors like tell him how he should play a scene. He he will only let them tell him faster or slower. Yeah. And so it is so you get this sense of like I you know how there is, you know, with the rise of vlogging, there, there, there is kind of this whole generation of kids on YouTube who just have a camera with them for their whole lives, yeah. no matter how boring or inconsequential any individual moment of their life is or any day is. You know, everyone's like, like I'm not calling them, indivi- you know, we're, yeah, yeah, we're yeah. all consequential, and but because they have to produce content a week or a day you will just end up with some member of Team 10 being like, hey, guys, uh, went to the pet shop today to buy some doggy yum, and it is just the lowest effort. Yeah. That's what this film is. And for a film with a budget of... Uh, $30 million. $40? $45 million. Ooh. Made one hundred seventy-five. million. Yeah, it was a big hit. I I cannot, I, we cannot talk about that because it genuinely makes me furious mm. because this is one of those films where I look at it and I'm like, this is not a matter of taste. This is empirically bad. Yeah. You know, like, uh, uh, but that's a bit me being a cunt. Um, sorry. A sea scout. <laughs> that's in. staying in. I like, I think it's funny. Um, and there is a point where if you're putting $45 million into this, that is, like, this is one of those things where I hit a moral wall where I'm like, 
that is 200 houses yep. you could have built for this. A big gasp of nothing, which serves only to be a fridge buzz. What do you think of it? I'm away. Uh, I mean, if I had to describe this film in one word, I might, uh, I might go with shite. Yeah, out of out of shite or sound. Yeah, I yeah, it's shite. I mean, yeah, it 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 fucking sucks. But Rob Reiner's name is attached to this. Uh, but he like, but 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 yeah, like, he he's he's. He's one of those guys who will just kind of make anything. He's he's not notor in any sense. He's an absolute journeyman oh, no, director. No, but like he like auteur, like no one is actually an auteur. Yeah, sure, you know, yeah. like I, I will, we'll, yeah. No one is act like auteurs don't actually exist. You know, sure, but there are people who feel like they are. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, because they are much more identified. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, uh, so Finn, would you be interested in uh, we? I we've been pretty unforgiving, uh, yep. uh, of this film. We're a bunch of Clint Eastwoods over here. Would you be interested in an opposing view on this film? Someone who gave it off the top of your head five stars and a like, so a heart on a social media platform leaderboard. Uh, uh, look, I'm I'm willing to try anything once. Okay, so um, here's the review. Positive. You know that feeling when you walk out of a movie and think, God, that was such a great film? It takes a lot for me to think that, especially when it's a movie about two men who have cancer. But this movie really did it for me, as, as well as everyone else in the theatre. I saw the movie at its first ever screening in Pasadena, <laughs> and it was just wonderful. Even with temp music and unfinished visual effects, Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman were truly amazing together. It's a film about cancer, and yet the two were able to balance the comedy and drama of the script in such the perfect way that the audience loved every moment of the movie. The script was quite original, which was such a breath of fresh air. And acting couldn't have been any better. I would recommend this film to anyone and everyone as it was such a feel-good movie that it made you both laugh and cry at the same time. But something you don't come across too often. I am often both laughing and crying when I come across things. (laughs) 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 Staying in. (laughs) Not only did the audience applaud the film at the end, but every single viewer who stayed to give comments agreed that the movie was excellent. Can't imagine how often that happens. And that review is, of course, from Motherfucker87. (laughs) (laughs) I can understand how this film does, like, would do well in a test screening. Yeah. Do you want to guess what Motherfucker87's top four films are? Sure. Okay, one isn't really a film. Uh, that's not enough of a clue. That's not. Uh, uh, it's different for most people who see it. People have different experiences of it. Uh, yeah, it's not. It's not a video game, but it is more interactive than Bandersnatch. Correct, yeah. Armando Iannucci. The next uh, is Emil Hirsch's, uh, uh, not Speed Racer. Is it Speed Racer? <laughs> it's not. I. I 
it is it is if you know another speed if you know another film from Emil Hirsch where he's the lead it would be this I'm trying to think of any I can't it's directed by uh, spousal abuser Sean Penn adaptation of a novel I believe uh the the I can't really think of any Sean Penn directed films apart from like The Gunman. Into the Wild. Okay, I've, yeah. I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, this one. Uh, uh, it is. Okay, one of these has a pretty big twist. Okay. Uh, meatloaf's in it. <laughs> is it a Rocky Horror Picture Show? No. Um, Jared Leto's in it. Oh, Fight Club. Yeah. Uh, and, and the next one is um, uh, it, it's both a remake and a sequel. Shaft. No. Shaft. No. <laughs> um, I can tell from your tone what you mean. Yeah. Um. Hmm. Remake. Uh, Evil Dead 2. Ding! Yeah. That's them. One of the best movies ever made. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The thing about Evil Dead 2 is that in every single shot of a movie, Bruce Campbell has an eyebrow raised. <laughs> he, does okay. it for, he does it for the entire 85 minutes of that movie. <laughs> it's, yeah. Oh, God. Um, so- also, that movie, is min- that movie is 80 minutes of build-up to Bruce Campbell saying the word groovy. Yeah. And it is worth it. Ben. Mm. What are you watching next week? Next week, we are watching a film by Kenji Mitsuguchi. It is called Sensho the Bailiff. We uh, mentioned it earlier on. Uh, I've, I've never seen a Mitsuguchi film, but uh, very, very excited for this. Uh, uh, I started watching the last of the Chrysanthemums, right. or the title is different to that. Um, and, and yeah, because I, I realized I had not seen any of his work outside of like bits. Mm. Uh, there was uh, uh, when I did East Asian cinema uh, at university, um, our tutor was a, was a big fan uh, and so used a lot of his work as examples. And it's, it's strong. So mm. And so with uh, Sancho the Bailiff, uh, we are doing a Slumdog Millionaire. I'm not totally clear on why. There's a what what what's what's the connection? Plot plotish, they're kind of similar plot wise. Okay, uh, yeah. So we do we do like tear away two. lonely kids, right? Uh, uh, the tear away lonely kids. No, like uh, uh, abandoned kids trying to make their way right. uh, in the world. Mm. Uh, yeah. It it I I like I will admit it. It was my pitch, and part of it is that I do kind of want to talk about Danny Boyle, and because it is. Again, just based off just reading about Sancho, seems quite singular. Mm. Uh, uh, so where can people find you online, Finn? Who cares? <laughs> yeah. You can find the show on Twitter at ShiteSoundPod, or you can email us at ShiteSoundPod at gmail.com. Hey, why not check out our website at ShiteAndSound.com? And hey... If you like the show, which you do, uh, tell your friends, uh, share and enjoy, like and subscribe. Uh, we don't got a marketing budget. We don't really have any budget at all except for our copious time. So it'd be great um, if you could share it. Uh, it would. 
uh, and uh, I know you're thinking like, oh, everyone shares this. I enjoy this show. Everyone must be sharing it all around. No, no, no. No, you share you, it. You, you can be you, the first. You, no, I've, uh, oh, no, I can't be. No, don't be that bleak. Don't do that to me. Oh, there's darkness. Darkness. No, uh, uh, I understand that Acast informs you when you've been having, like, no listeners. Okay. So I know there are people, like... Okay, great. There are humans listening to us. We're not just, like, floating in a void, as horrific as that would be. Um, or, or valid. If you want to follow me, uh, please do. It's the one steady shore in, in, on the rocky river of the world for me right now. Um, check me out on all your various socialized media. Is at Youther Lives and sign up for my newsletter, The Dean's List, at bit.ly slash Youther Lives. Our theme song is The Nux by Kazan Blam. Check me out on Ben Camp. Movies are good, even bad ones. Go, Go watch them. Okay, and and the opening credits is <laughs> the Event Horizon. Is it, would you consider Event Horizon sci-fi or horror? It's both. Mm, <laughs> counterpoint. Okay, I've got to go harass someone on Twitter. <laughs> hey, it's all in good fun, uh, except it's neither good nor fun. God, it's just the worst place in the world. Mm. No, the worst place in the world is like, Apartheid South Africa. Or the, U- the Uyghur concentration camps. Yeah. Um, if you're listening, China, stop, please. Stop it. <laughs> Come on, China. Stop it. China. You, no. We're going to start playing hardball in a second. In China, I've got some pretty hard words for you on this film podcast about the whole Tibet thing, which is, give it back, come on, give it!